Hello, Marvelites! Welcome to This Week in Marvel, episode number 347. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I am Jamie Frevely, a.k.a. Haven't been exposed to Terrigen yet, so I don't know what my deal is. Ooh. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Then you get to go into a gooey, ooey, gross cocoon. Yeah. You can come out like, I don't know, a bird person or like a rock with eyes all over it or... Like a piece of fur that breathes fire. What, like, the oh, possibilities are endless. I know. Whatever it is, I just hope it smells okay. Mm. I just hope I smell okay. Mm. I can deal with anything else. But you know who does probably smell really nice? Who? Luke Cage. Oh, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, you just started blushing. It I was just terrific. did. I got the vapors. Yes. I've been re-watching season one in preparation for the season two premiere today of Marvel's Luke Cage on Netflix. That Oof. is our biggest news of the week. It is Luke Cage mania running wild, brother. Everyone here is Luke Cage crazy. Yeah. Everyone here is Luke Cage rattling, yeah. if, I, if I may. Because it's great. It's got an amazing cast, great story, just the best music, so much going on. And you know what? It's bleeding over into our show this week because our interview, our guest this week is Mr. Cheo Hodari Coker, the showrunner and writer for Marvel's Luke Cage, season one and season two. And I was so delighted to have him back. Uh, last time we had him at Marvel, we were in our old closet studio. Uh, <laughs> and now we are in our beautiful creative space. And he knows his stuff so well. And it was such a delight listening to him talk about everything he knows. I mean, I love seeing these showrunners and these the talent and all these guys come in and they're just fans, just like everybody else. And he just had such a vision for Luke Cage, and I was, it was such a pleasure to talk to that guy. Yeah. And if you are worried that we get into spoiler territory with Chao, do not no. fret. Uh, we talked about season two in some broad strokes and really just sort of getting you caught up and getting you ready to stream the, the whole season. You're going to watch it all this weekend, I hope. It is now on Netflix, as Jamie said. It's a lot of fun. Really cool. We talk about the music. We talk about, um, you know, the different. one of the things that I found interesting is I always find writer's rooms really fascinating yes. for television shows. So we dig into that a little bit and, and so much more. But if you need a quick refresher on Luke Cage, we also have a new episode of Marvel 101. Oh yeah, we do. We have a lot we have there are many things on the Marvel website on marvel.com that you can check out before you dive back in if you want a little background on Luke Cage in the comics or season 1. Yeah, so that's a, just a quick video. Give you a little uh, heads up on what's going on, what his deal is. Uh, and you can find that, as Jamie said, on Marvel.com, as well as our social pages and YouTube and all that good stuff. Also, as part of this, we had the big live stream premiere for the season this week. And I joined Lorraine Sink here in our creative space, as well as Angelique Roche. Uh, Angelique, obviously, she's the host of Marvel's Voices. Lorraine is one of the co-hosts of Earth's Mightiest Show. Uh, and Angelique was just rocking and rolling on the red carpet and Lorraine and I were sitting being lazy and just having a grand old time. That sounds wonderful. Yeah, it was it was terrific. So you could check that out. That's on all our pages. And it was also just a great excuse for me to talk about some of my favorite Luke Cage comics in the in the stream. Uh, one in particular, which I will always go to bat for, is a new Avengers issue by Brian Michael Bendis and Neil Francis Yu. Right in the middle of Civil War, it told you who Luke Cage was, what he stands for, 
his love for his neighborhood, his family, his friends, his principles, everything about him is is really condensed into this one issue. And I, I, I just love it. It's really, really great. It's New Avengers number 22, but I talked about a bunch more. So you'll have to rewatch the live streamy business that we did. Uh, we're going to get into our new picks of the week real soon. Those are Amazing Spider-Man number 801, X-Men Gold number 30, and Tony Stark Iron Man number one. Uh, I talked with Amazing Spider-Man writer Dan Slott this week really briefly. Do not tell his editor, Tom Brevoort, because Dan called me after seeing me post something on social media to gab with me, to do a little <laughs> gossip and, and give his opinion on stuff. He was like, all right, I got to go. I got to go. I got to go. Uh, I've got to go write scripts. I said, Dan, before you go, I have to tell you, Amazing Spider-Man 801, so good. And it's so emotionally connected yeah. to me, uh, especially there's this part in the book. So there's a POV character named Kenneth, and uh, Spider-Man saves Kenneth's life early on in, in Spidey's career, years before a lot of this issue takes place. And uh, Kenneth was rushing to go to the, the store, and then he was going to go to the hospital before his dad was dying. And he was going to go buy cigarettes at this, you know, at, at the bodega, whatever it was. And Spider-Man saves his life, right? And then you, you see the effect that that had on Kenneth's life. Uh, art by Marcos Martin and Munsa Vincente. And uh, it's just beautiful two-page spread where Kenneth is telling his niece about Spider-Man. And she's like, oh, man, I, I wanted to see a superhero, but I didn't want to be Spider-Man. The niece wanted to see a superhero who saves the world. And so Kenneth says, what are you talking about? Spider-Man saves a world every day. He saves someone's world. And the profound thought behind that is that Spider-Man saves a child and that child is someone's world. Like that means so much. He saves, you know, this woman who's going out of date and that woman's girlfriend would, that's the world to her. So every time that Spider-Man saves someone, he is 100% saving the world. It's just not the global world. It is a personal world. And it's a really profound, thoughtful way of looking at Spider-Man's effect and and how a street-level character is so much more than a street-level character. Yeah, when you think about these rescues, you know, they take Spider-Man a split second. They're no big deal, and he's just doing them because he sees someone who needs help, and then he moves on to the next person who needs help. But th- when you think about those people who are being rescued, that's changing their entire lives because now their lives get to continue. Yeah, that's a, that is a really big deal that we don't think about when we read comics because we're tuning in for the action we're tuning in for what's what our heroes are doing so yeah that is a really sweet way to end spider-man if we had if we lived in that world and you know we live in manhattan Mm -hmm. super villains would be everywhere these this chaos would be right outside our window all the time and i think like if my wife was coming home and and you know the rhino was charging at her because She's she just inadvertently got off the subway and is in the middle of some craziness. And Spider-Man saved her. That's everything to me. I would be devastated. Yeah. So the the think about that in your own personal terms and how that resonates with you and then resonates with these characters and the thousands, maybe it's probably thousands, let's be honest, but many, many thousands of people that 
Spider-Man is saved on that level. Uh, it's incredible. And then this is all punctuated by this amazing art, especially in this two-page spread where yeah. you see Spider-Man saving children from the rhino and uh, this woman falling after vulture attacks and this other woman from Doc Ock and Sandman has got this other person who's trying to suck into his sand, Electro, all this other stuff. And Spider-Man is getting in the way of all this. He's stopping all this. It's beautifully done. It's gorgeous colors. The line work is wonderful. The pacing, the story, there's so much going on in this page, but it flows so beautifully and it is so clear. It's really smart, eloquent storytelling in a comic book. Uh, and this issue just ends by this, this beautiful panel, single page splash of Spider-Man swinging away. He had saved this day and he's going off and doing his thing, but the, the text caption says, I'll always be here for you. And it's someone else's dialogue, but it's also Dan Slott to Spider-Man and Spider-Man to Dan Slott and Dan Slott to us. And it's all of this together. And it means so much to me. So when I started at Marvel in 2006 was right around the time Dan and that team were coming together to start their work on Spider-Man, on Amazing Spider-Man. And it was, you know, from that point, Steve Wacker was here uh, editing comics and editing Spider-Man and, and where we've gone now. 10 years, what is it, 180 issues or something like that, 180, 160 issues, the longest run on Amazing Spider-Man to date, which is such a feat considering, you yeah. know, it was started by Stan Lee and has had amazing writers for decades. So this is this is the end of an era, uh, yeah, but it real. is a beautiful end and a, a tremendous ending and really one of my favorite comics this year. So good, Spidey. And so... Moving on to Dan Slott's next big project. I also told him I love this book, too. Yes, this is a lot of fun. This is Tony Stark, Iron Man. Tony Stark, comma, Iron Man, Tony number St- one. Thank you. Tony Stark, comma, Iron Man, number like one. Peter Parker, comma, Spectacular Spider-Man. This is now a thing that we're doing. I Yeah, I see commas in titles, and I'm so used to seeing, you know, your fancy semicolons, maybe an M-dash. Yeah. <laughs> this has commas. Marvel has commas. We stand by them. That should be our new tagline. <laughs> so, written by Dan Slott, legend, artist Valerio Schiti. This is some nice-looking comic work. Yes. Well, it, you know, what? what's also really important that I found neat about this is, so Dan had such a long-term uh, relationship with the various creators on Amazing Spider-Man. Edgar Delgado, as the, the colorist here, is one of his longtime collaborators with numerous artists. And Joe Caramagna is a, an amazing writer in his own right. He's also the letterer here, and he's worked on probably the majority of Amazing Spider-Man with Dan. So it was really cool to me to see the, the same relationships carry over for you know the, the creative circle. Yeah. From Amazing Spider-Man with Dan to here with Iron Man. Yeah, and just speaking of the colors, when I think of fun colors, I think of comic books that look like this one. It's just a lot of really bright primary colors and really cool, sometimes silly, fun. It's just fun, this book. And it's a really good setup for a new beginning for Tony Stark, or at least the new this new story for Tony Stark. It's really neat, like... It is a, a new start, like you're saying, yeah. because we've got Stark Unlimited. We've got Talking Animals. Mm-hmm. We've got uh, Tony connecting with people to help 
build back up his empire and his thoughts. We get Bethany Cabe, who's a cool character. She's a former flame of Stark's. Of course, that did not work out because he's Tony Stark. Uh, She has worn Iron Man armors before. She was most recently, I think, in War Machine 2.0 by Greg Pak and, and and a bunch of people from a few years back, if I recall correctly. Can we talk about Dr. Shapiro? Let's talk about Dr. Shapiro, please. Dr. Shapiro is my favorite new character, and we only get a single part of a panel and uh but it's so great and i smell a spinoff it's a a a cat a talking cat finally another another great marvel cat yeah uh there's a woman saying all the milk again dr shapiro and the dr shapiro says it was jerry Jerry." accounting from accounting and she's like there's no jerry from accounting it was the dog (laughs) but as we look to the left it was the dog and there's a dog Dr. Shapiro doesn't lie. The dog looks like it's drinking Mm -hmm. uh, some milk with a like special robot arms. With a forearm. Yeah. Yeah. I love Dr. Shapiro and I really hope we get to see more. Something else I appreciated in this was the Pele joke. Nowadays, if you make a Pele joke, you're just telling your age, (laughs) which I don't mind. But it opens up with a flashback to 25 years ago and Tony, little Anthony Stark is competing in a robotics soccer game. With um, uh, Dr. Bong. Dr. Bong. B-H-A-N-G. I, I, bang, bang? I was, in my head, I was saying Bang with a silent H, hmm. which would be a great last name. But yeah, they're in a robotics competition. Tony looks kind of bored, and Andy is feverishly trying to get his robot to compete with this really much, frankly, more advanced robot that Tony Stark built. And... Um, Obviously, Tony wins, and a sort of rivalry is born. But then we flash forward, and Tony is seeking out Andy for help. This is how we get to, to Stark Unlimited. Yeah, and it's cool. There's so many things. I, I don't want to reveal, if you have not read the issue, who the chief robotics ethicist is. Yeah. <laughs> but it is a longtime Avengers character, and this yeah. one is so yeah. great. The addition of this character and his or her or its role to play in the book is really neat. Uh, we got that. We have an, uh, a really neat villain who shows up, which I may or may not have tattooed upon my body. The only Marvel tattoo I have uh, is a character that shows up in here. And it's, it's really neat because we get to see Dan Slott just going big nerd, working big, deep Marvel Universe angles, as well as like going real deep into Iron Man stuff and digging into his fandoms, his love of giant robots, or the Hobbit. It's so funny. It's Dan. This is <laughs> this is who he is. And he's joke. just letting his freak flag fly in all the ways that he likes to, and it's super duper fun. It is quite a humdinger for a num- an issue number one for anybody, and it's just very fun Tony Stark stuff and Iron Man stuff. If you need something light, if you know when I'm in a bad mood, I like to read Punisher, but if I'm in a good mood, this is kind of this may be my go-to now. This kind of really just happy-go-lucky story. But, you know, it's clearly going to be leading to something. Yes, so. there's there's lots to come. This is a prelude, yes. but it's a very fun one. Yeah, and I, I can't wait to see more, especially from this art team, Valerio and yeah. Edgar. Oh, gorgeous. Yeah. But another gorgeous issue this week is our third pick, X-Men Gold number 30. And this one is so beautiful because the art team is David Marquez with colorist Matthew Wilson. We've seen the two of them do the flashback pages in the previous, I don't know, four or five issues of X-Men Gold of flashbacks 
from Kitty and Colossus and different moments in their history. And those have always, those have stood out really, really well to me. And I didn't realize that they were doing the full art on this issue. And so I was just delighted throughout. It is gorgeous. The, it's gorgeous. Also, no spoilers for this because there, yeah. there's a quite a big thing that happens that we're not going to say. So this is a safe space. Exactly. <laughs> it's written by Mark Guggenheim and the letters on this are by Corey Petit. This one is the big wedding issue. This is where it all comes down. One of my favorite moments, though, is the rehearsal dinner. And it happens at Harry's Hideaway, which is a long time X-Men you know, place where they go to. It's their haunt, an X-Men haunt. Yeah, it's their local pub that they've gone to for years and years and years. And I remember in one of my favorite stories, Executioner's Song, it is partially destroyed right in the beginning of the story because the X-Men get attacked by the Horsemen of Apocalypse. And then the sort of the epilogue issue is Colossus and Beast, I think, rebuilding it and, and going overnight and like putting it back together for Harry because... They're very close to him. So it's really great. This was a very appropriate place to have this reception dinner. And it is so awesome. These are the delicious morsels of X-Men goodness that I crave. You've got (laughs) Jean and Jean and Rachel and their dialogue bits. So good. There's Rogue and Gambit chitting and chatting. We see Lockheed and Lockheed's family. This wonderful moment. Lockheed, just such a cool character, a big old dragon. I love so, Lockheed's face in this panel, too. Yeah. Sweet. So sweet, and like, look at what I did. Yeah. I have family. I made more dragons. Oh, so cute. Mark Guggenheim, very much like Dan Slott, a student of the game, knows his history. So you get to see characters like Stevie Hunter come in. Stevie, I haven't seen in, that I can remember, haven't seen in years. She was Kitty's former dance coach, and she was like the Xavier School physical therapist, who's now a congresswoman. She's awesome. She's there, and she's very close to Kitty. So that was really important. We touch on Kitty's history with Storm a lot, because they were I remember reading those Claremont and Burn issues after Kitty was introduced. She was so, like, there was just a connection between Aurora and Kitty, and that has continued to live on. There's a really intense conversation that happens between Kitty and Ilyana. Mm-hmm. That one. Yeah. Whew. Ooh, man, talk about stuff to save for after the wedding. <laughs> yeah. I mean, poor timing. Very yeah. bad timing. Maybe should have held back on the imbibing. Yeah. One of the things that is gorgeous about this is these two pages, they're outside, it's at night. Yeah. The coloring oh, is so... moody and dark, whereas at the reception, it's bright and it's definitely a party. The wedding is bright and sunny and the dresses and everything pops. Part of what I really love about this art style is there's a like kind of softness to it. Yeah. Uh, the way that it is drawn and colored is watercolory yeah, a little like, bit. Everyone is just sort of gorgeous, but... Like, in a non-threatening way. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is definitely not the big action issue. And, you know, Dave just did, uh, Dave Marquez worked on Defenders recently, right? He did the big action, crazy team book, Luke Cage throwing cars and uh, Iron Fist, like, punching the crap out of people. Really dope. And this is, like, the complete polar opposite. Yeah, this is, like, the day they just don't, they decide not to do that. Yeah. <laughs> It's super sweet. Love everything going on here. I don't want to get into much more about it. But there's a cool feature on weddings and wedding statistics that Tucker did with Walt Hickey from the site 538. You can uh, see these like cool infographics. And, you know, Walt went through 
tons of comics, right? Yeah. Like 100 comics or 500 comics. Some Like every Marvel wedding. Yeah. There's was... been a lot. Yeah. People get married all the time on Marvel. Yeah. Love is love blooms eternal. Yeah. Well, sometimes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so you can check that out on Marvel.com and we'll put a link in the show notes and the news article for this episode. All right. From weddings and more things that we're hyped about. So I'm changing news, guys. This is breaking. I'm changing it to things we're hyped about this week, comma, because we include commas. That's right. Including news. Ooh. Things we're hyped about this week. I like including it. Including news. I like because it. Because it's, it's more than just the news. Are we really only three weeks away from Marvel Studios' Ant-Man and the Wasp? Yes, July 6th. Ooh, holy moly. Buzzing and, f- buzzing and flying, respectively, into theaters. Well, what do ants do? They click? The ants, cl- I don't know what, they crawl. He just rides upon oh, flying yeah. ants. He's not an ant person. He does not have anything other than his normal human uh, way of conveyance. Yeah. she has wings. He shrinks to the size of an ant, but he can also grow to the size of things that are much larger than ants. 65 feet based on the trailers? Based on the trailers. Or, you know, if you're like me and you may have seen the movie already and may have loved it, then, you know, you know what's up. Anyway, uh, (laughs) it's, it's real cool. There's new posters. Tickets are on sale. All that good stuff is happening. Uh, hope you guys are excited about it as we are. I will be at the Alamo Draft House on July 5th, which is the Thursday uh, for the 7 p.m. showing. I always go and give away a bunch of comics and see a bunch of people. So I'll, I'll be there for Marvel Studios at Man and the Wasp as well. Very uh, cool. I, I saw that. I think this week is episode four. But Marvel's Cloak and Dagger is really, it's heating up. It's its real good on Freeform. So I hope you guys are checking that out. Four oh. was my favorite episode uh, of big, the season at that yeah. point. Big episode for Otis. Yeah. And I actually got to talk to Miles Mussenden nice. th- last week. And uh, that'll, be, that'll be up soon. Very, very sweet guy. Awesome guy to talk to. Had a lot to say about playing a father. He's a father of five in my real gosh. life. He has four daughters and a son. So he, he can bring a lot to playing Otis. It is a very different situation for him. Mm, so tune in. Marvel's Cloak and Dagger on Freeform. Uh, a couple minutes ago, I talked about E3. Uh, yeah. How, tell us more about E3. Tell us what we didn't see, Ryan. Marvel-wise, there was Marvel Spider-Man. We, we put it out there, and, and people lost their minds about it. It got so many, like best of shows and, and oh that's great you know so much excitement around it and it, there was a really great moment where i was playing the game i had met up with jerry duggan who's writer of infinity countdown and so many other books steve wacker who i talked about longtime spider-man editor he's now vp on our tv and new media group and talking with the two of them and then we met up with nick spencer but uh they were sort of like oh, i really wish i could play the game and i was like do you guys want to go in and play? I know people. Oh. And so I brought them in. We got we got some open stations. And they put Jerry on one. And they put Steve here. And then I was right next to Steve. And the game's starting up. And there's, you know, you open up where you're just swinging through New York City. And I look over to Steve. Huge smile on his face. Oh, I just love it. Just <laughs> delighted. Uh, and you could see as someone who lives and breathes this, as someone who is so close to Spider-Man for years and getting his hands on it for the first time. Yeah. And Steve is a huge gamer. He and I talk video games every time I see him. We play a lot of the same games. And he was just in another world. He was so happy. It was really cute. I made It brought a smile to my face. And um, Nick Spencer uh, is the new Amazing Spider-Man writer coming uh, this July. So he got to play it. He, he dug it. It was really neat. It was just nice 
being around all the video games with with Marvel people. Last week we put out my interview with Bill Roseman and Brian yes. Intahar. I also recorded an interview with James Stevenson from Insomniac Games and Eric Monicelli uh, mm-hmm. uh, from Marvel Games. So that should be coming soon. And there's videos for both of those uh, as well. I know, I think when we get to the community section, we get the hashtag two scoops action, which is <laughs> real exciting. It is indeed exciting. very exciting. Next week, I go to L.A. for a secret video game thing. Ooh. Can't give any details now, but I'm hoping to get something for This Week at Marvel for us to use a little bit later. It should be a lot of fun. It's very for cool. something I've, I've played a bunch, but I'm going to play a little bit more in a new way. I will leave it at that. I say no more. Secrets. Hashtag S. Four E's K R I T S. I don't want to forget to mention that Marvel Spider Man is not just the big video game, but it's also crossing over into the comics. It was something great that we announced right at the end of last week that he, the Marvel Spider Man version of Spidey, will be in Spider Geddon coming this September in issue number zero, which is written by Christos Gage, who was one of the writers for the video game. Oh, is how writing, cool is this? Right? He's writing this story with art by Clayton Crane, who is an amazing illustrator, does a lot of comics uh, cover work right now, but he hasn't done a lot of interior work for us in a long time. So I'm excited for, for that duo, especially taking on this version of Spider-Man, whom so many millions of people will be really intimately uh, familiar with after playing the game for probably many, many hours. Uh, so that's really cool. And then there are going to be five... Marvel Spider-Man video game variants. And uh, there are four of them by Insomniac Games artists. They're really, really beautiful. But one of them is by Marvel Games' own Tim Tsang. And Tim is a delight. I really I like talking to him. I always like, whenever I go to Marvel Games, looking over his shoulder to see what he's working on. Because he's always got a character up on his, his screen. And he's mm-hmm. working on his, his like tablet and creating art and redesigning things. And just really cool. His cover is a dope homage to John Romita's Amazing Spider-Man number 151. So that was really neat. I saw that come through. Uh, I knew we were, we were doing all that stuff. But I didn't realize we were announcing it. So when it hit, I was like, oh, it was perfect. Very exciting. Good stuff for Marvel Spider-Man. All the good Spider-Man stuff aside... I'm going to get a little self-serving here and say that Hasbro made a custom, very special, one-of-a-kind Mighty Mug of me. No way. Yep. And it's glorious. Oh, my God. By the time this goes up, I will have put pictures up on my Instagram, Agent M, my Twitter, Agent M. uh, And it's like their new Mighty Mugs. You press it once. And it changes faces. So it has three, like, facial expressions. And you can drink out of it? No. <laughs> a Mighty Mug is just like the, the t- just it's oh. not a not a not a glass. Although that's the next evolution. I was gonna say, like, were you you were made into a mug because not, Yeah, no, Mighty Mug is the brand of toy, but I really want to oh man. If I come in one day just drinking out of a mug of my head. <laughs> drinking out of your face. Oh that's that's full Panagos right there. Well you can't buy my Mighty Mug, you can buy the new Luke Cage six scale figure from our advertiser, Sideshow Collectibles. It is so cool. It's a, one of their six scale figures. Uh, it's it's got like the custom fabric costume and the so many articulation points mm. and you know like the extra swap out accessories, the chains, the wristbands, the jacket, which is it's not pleather, but it's not leather. It's leather like. It's a leather like substance. Yes, so many cool things. I think I think he's got like different hands and uh, they usually have different faces. So cool. He is available right now, pre-order from Sideshow. You can visit sideshow.com slash cage to hire this hero for your Marvel collection. I have some buddies over there, and every time they're at a convention, I just 
end up wandering and just start drooling, walking mm-hmm. around, looking at all their stuff. They have really cool dioramas. When we go when we go to, to San Diego Comic-Con, Jamie, yes. they're usually right next to our booth. So there's oh, always dear. tons and tons of amazing Marvel stuff. I hope they have this Luke Cage on display, but they usually have like the next year or so worth of figures How cool. out there on display. It's gnarly. They're, they're really great. And speaking of Comic-Con, we are in the throes oh. of planning for the big show. That's right. I am not a big flyer, so I am both excited and scared to death, but in a good way. You're going to be fine. I know. I just, I'm one of those people who, when they fly, they just, it's not even that I'm afraid of the plane crashing. I'm just afraid I'm just going to explode in midair or something. Oh, that's all. I I know that I'll be fine. Um, I'm so excited to go to San Diego because I never go anywhere. So this is, oh man, I've never been to San Diego Comic-Con. So... I hope to see some of you guys there, and we're going to put on a great show for you. Marvel's going to have some awesome stuff to show you, and I will be there come heck or high water. Speaking of San Diego and the West Coast, Kelly Thompson, writer of the upcoming West Coast Avengers book, is on Women of Marvel podcast this week. Love Kelly. Love her. I talked to her when she was at the writer's retreat. So fun. Lots of really fun plans for West Coast Avengers, too. Heck yeah. Last part of the things we're hyped about, comma, including news section for the week is shout out to my friend, Johnny Gargano. He is a uh, a wrestler for NXT, the uh, WWE brand. Great dude. I've been trying my darndest to get him and his wife, who's also a wrestler at WWE, to come by Ooh. Marvel for years. She is bonkers good. She's so good. I've seen her with blood all over her face. <laughs> uh, I've seen her do crazy stuff. She was in this wonderful tag team with Joey Ryan, who's a great wrestler as well. But Johnny just had one of the best wrestling matches I've seen in a long time. And he came to the ring wearing an outfit that was inspired by Captain America. And he's nice. been doing this for a couple of months. He's He did a very Captain America style Vest. He has done uh, a, a vest in the style of Thor from Marvel Studios' Thor Ragnarok. He did one that was very Star Lord esque. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the reasons I wanted to bring this up is because I love wrestling and I love comic books. And I talk about the correlation between wrestling storytelling and comic book storytelling. When you tell a good story in any of those media, you get engulfed in Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Even if you are not a wrestling fan, sit down with someone who is a wrestling fan. You will probably get like sucked into it because it is so well told. Right now, we have to go to our interview with Cheo Hodari Coker, showrunner and writer for Marvel's Luke Cage, now streaming on Netflix. We talked a bunch about Cheo earlier in the show. He's the best. He, like, oh, man. It, so fun. I don't even know how much we got into his background as a hip-hop journalist, working at The Source, just being engulfed in the world that he wants to tell. Like, the music being such an important part of Luke Cage is because it's such an important part of him. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and the important part of the way he thinks about Luke and Luke's world. Really hyped. Check out our interview with Cheo right now. Cheo. Hodari, Coker from Marvel's Luke Cage. How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm tired, of course, because I'm just a little jet lagged. I mean, the first question I ask myself every morning is, where am I? And the reason I do that <laughs> is because I live in Seattle. And when the show is up, we run the writer's room out of Los Angeles. And, of course, we film here in New York. And so it's like literally just like every three days I'm flying somewhere. 
Wow. Yeah. Oof. I did want to ask, how was the writer's room, like, how's it changed from season one to season two? The vibe, tone, the thoughts, like, what you're doing? Well, you know, the thing is, is I, I believe in continuity. You know, the thing about a writer's room, I call my writer's room, actually, the danger room. And the reason for that is, even though it's, of course, a safe space, for me, I'm a, I'm a huge X-Men fan. The Danger Room is where people work out their powers. It's where the X-Men figure out the best collaboration in terms of the combination of their powers to defeat whatever they're facing. Because you never know when a, um, a Nightcrawler Banff is going to teleport somebody to the right spot or a fastball special in terms of Colossus picking up Wolverine. And it's really the same way in the writer's room where like an idea from, you know, Aida Kroll or, or Kayla Cooper or myself or Matt Lopes or Matt Owens to Ian Stokes and Nicole Morante Matthews, you know, this is our, our, our season two staff, how our combination of ideas are going to end up you know, of course, I can't, can't let, you know, leave out my man, Nathan Jackson. You know, how all of us together are going to mind meld and, and collaborate in, in different ways. So basically, for season one, it was the same lineup with the exception of Charles Murray was, was, was still on staff. In addition to Christian Taylor and um, Jason Horwich, who was my colleague from Southland back in the day. And so right now, Jason is actually running Berlin Station for Epics. And Christian is also about to start developing something else that I've heard about that's really exciting. And, you know, if we hopefully get a season three of, of Luke Cage, Charles, who's also directing, will come back. And um, right now, Kayla Cooper and Aida Kroll, since this season is wrapped, are now running their own shows. Kayla is running uh, Chambers on Netflix and um, Aida is running with um, Michael Green, um, who um, was one of the writers on Logan. So the thing about Luke Cage and the success of Luke Cage is that it's really, it's really been good for all of us. But, you know, it's a family, honestly. Yeah. Can anyone hang with you and your Marvel knowledge in the room? Like, people- oh, 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 come on. Matt, Matt Owens blows me away. Okay. Like, like I, I mean, my era kind of, you know, for me, like my sweet spot is Chris Claremont, John Byrne, you know, that era of X-Men. My, my influence, of course, is like the God Love, Man Kills graphic novel. Of course, the um, Frank Miller, Chris Claremont Wolverine miniseries or limited series, I guess it was yeah, called yeah. back in the day. It's funny because like when I was in grade school, I was at Mansfield Middle School. I was in sixth grade. Austin Orth was really the first comic book collector I ever met. And Austin is the person that really got me into reading X-Men. And actually, he gave me Wolverines two, three and four. I gave him Grew the Wanderer. <laughs> One, two, and three. This was we we we, we traded this over over lunch. I, yeah. I think it was the most uneven s- swap since since <laughs> since on Manhattan what was um, traded for beads. Hey, <laughs> Ser- Sergio's dope. Like Drew oh. is awesome. Yeah. So he he made that okay, but yes, I'm, but, I'm with but, you. But but, but yeah, still, yeah, yeah. like like it was one of those things where like um you know that's kind of where my love started for it. The the only argument that my mother and I ever had was Austin was going to sell me from giant sized X Men. All the way to X Men 174 for thirty dollars, <laughs> <laughs> and my mom said, "I'm I'm not spending thirty dollars on some damn comic books." <laughs> oh, I remember buying a lot of like from like 110 to 140 copies, beat up copies at the old bookstore near next to the laundromat my mom and I used to go to when I was growing up, and so like to have like a collection of that run. Yeah, that's. Oh. For 30 bucks. 
that was that was one of the only two arguments my mother and I ever had. The second <laughs> argument was my freshman year at Stanford. I came home for Christmas break, and I'm like, Ma, um, where's my X-wing? Where's the Death Star? Oh, well, this kid came over and he liked it. And, and <laughs> <gasps> she gave away my X-wing. She gave away my, my speeder. She gave away my Death Star. Cause oh, well, you were in college, and I figured you went. And I'm like. <laughs> I mean, it's good natured, but man, man. Oh. I mean, these are the arguments arguments you want to have with your mom. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to have them, but compared to other arguments. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. I mean, well, it just show, it just shows you that my mom's, you know, my mom is is like my best friend, and like you know, if your son goes to Stanford and says, okay, well, what I really want to do instead of being a lawyer is I want to be a hip hop journalist, <laughs> and I want to figure out a way to, to turn collecting comics into an actual profession, you know, and she didn't blink, you know. The level of support that that I've had over the years as I made my my various transitions that has you know she's always been in my corner one hundred percent. I can't say <laughs> enough about strong moms and yeah, my mom, like single parent, raised me on her own. Yeah, I love it. I love these stories. So good. So music obviously felt so integral to season one, naturally connected to everything. How yeah. do you take that excitement and, and the success of all those aspects from season one and, and amp it up for season two? Well, you know, season one was all about the Wu-Tangification of the Marvel Universe. And so <laughs> the thing is, with season two, it was really about, OK, now that we have this extended musical vibe, what do we do? For me, looking at the binge watching model, it's kind of really akin to what it used to be like back in the day when like Prince or Guns N' Roses or U2 or even Madonna would like drop an album and then everybody, this is like, you know, when they weren't lined up, you know, around the block at Tower Records to actually buy the record, you would go home and you listen to the record and then you actually get on the phone and call your friends and talk about it. As opposed to now where everyone just, just gets on Instagram or Twitter and just reacts and immediately. So when a show comes out, like whether it's Luke Cage or Jessica Jones or Daredevil or Punisher and everyone stops what they're doing to like watch the bench, that's really the equivalent to that. And so for me, sequencing the show is really like sequencing an album. And so the music is really an integral part of what the whole experience is. And so the thing that we talked about in the writer's room is, okay, how can we make this show in season two like a second album, like the second album that defines your career? Like, how do we make this the Paul's Boutique, the Low End Theory, the Raising Hell, the, the score? You know, that second record that really just, as soon as people hear it, you know, the, the, it takes nations and millions to hold us back. How do you make this second season, the, the, the definitive season, that really ups things to a whole nother level? And that's really was, was, was what our challenge was. My own personal joke or thinking about what the show is, is I, I, I kind of call it a, um, a bulletproof version of Lemonade. You know, it's, 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 it's <laughs> oh, really, man. it's really basically a concept album with, with, with dialogue and superpowers. And so that's why the music is so much an, an integral part of the entire experience, because you as much listen to Luke Cage yeah. as you are watching it and experiencing it, because all three moments happen simultaneously. And really the thing was, was that when Beyonce dropped her first self-titled all music video movie album, not warning anybody, here it is, like Athena growing out of <laughs> Zeus's head, bam, <laughs> moment, you know. That first time, it was like, wow, oh, my God, this is amazing. And that actually happened, I think, a year or two before I, I started working on, on Luke Cage. 
And so if if Lemonade is is season two of Beyonce, like, you know, <laughs> we're, we're kind of hoping that for our season two, we have a similar impact. That's an it. amazing combination comparison rather but i'm also thinking what's so good about an album is that it's very self-contained it can be its own thing it can take influences from other outside influences yeah to, for lack of a better word but it's still its very own story arc it has its own beginning middle and end mm -hmm. so considering season one and the defenders how are those coming into play in luke cage's sophomore album season one was really who is luke cage season two is kind of how is Luke Cage? How is he as a person? How is he handling all this? Um, the one thing that we talk about is like, what, what is it like to be a superhero in the internet, Instagram, Twitter age, where every triumph is overamplified and every failure is also overamplified? One of the things we talked about collectively as a writer's room is my favorite Mike Tyson quote, which is, everybody's got a plan until they get hit in the face. <laughs> and so... With Luke Cage fighting somebody like Bushmaster, who we introduce, who actually has his own version of Luke's powers in terms of super strength, a relative level of invulnerability, you know, as well as a very distinct fighting style. When he knocks Luke on his behind, like, as you see in, in the trailer, how do you get up from that? Because it's something that, to me, I'm not as interested in undefeated fighters as I am in fighters who come back from defeat. Yeah. Like Muhammad Ali will be remembered as probably the greatest boxing champion of all time. But Ali lost a number of times. You know, he lost to Frazier. But when you do that, it's how you come back. It's mm -hmm. it's it's the other, you know, proverb that you kind of hear, which is fall seven times, rise eight. You know, can Luke Cage and being knocked down in a public way, can he get up from that? One of the things that I also looked at, of course, was... Um, was Ronda Rousey in, in, hmm. in modern context because she was just like unstoppable. Yeah, like everybody yeah. they put up against her was just, it was a joke. And then Holly yeah. Holm like <laughs> it's just like boom. Yeah. And then she had that second defeat, and then all of a sudden now she's wrestling. Now the thing is, it's, it's like people could be really cynical and say, "Oh, well, she quit and she didn't do this and she didn't do that," but like it makes you find yourself in a different yeah. way when that happens in that way, you know? And so what happens if you do have superpowers? Like, how do you, how do you deal with that? And that's one of the things that we deal with this season is, is Luke dealing with defeat and kind of picking himself up. At the same time, you know, if season one was really, um, you know, always forward, forward, always, this season really is family first always because it's really about how Luke is dealing with his father and his family stuff how Mariah is dealing with the fact that her daughter has emerged in, in her life because we kind of tweak the classic um, Nightshade story in a way, in a way that's interesting. It's Bushmaster in terms of his family legacy as it relates to Harlem's Paradise. Because what we always do is we basically veer from the canon so that the characters feel familiar from the comics, but at the same time, we always like try to add something in a way that adapts it to the television art form so that it feels different, so that you can't predict it from reading the comics, because if you just do the comics, it's kind of like the um, first two Harry Potter movies. It's like <laughs> they're so close to the book, it's boring. But then with yeah. the third one, that kind of, you know, scruffs it up a bit, like ever since, ever since really the, you know, the third Harry Potter movie, then, oh, wow, this is interesting. 
it's the same kind of thing. Like we always just try to kind of tweak it a little bit, remix it a little bit and give you something different. But at the same time, of course, you know, we love the source material. Heck, I mean, to be be here at Marvel is still blowing my mind, (laughs) you know, to be perfectly honest. I love when you're talking about Tyson and how Ronda Rousey going to wrestling and I'm a wrestling fan. So I was like, uh, I was nervous about what she was going to do. And and I watched her and she was terrific. It was like she stepped up. She made it work in a different way. So I'm excited for what Cage is going through. I also think that there's probably a lot that he's dealing with on top of the family stuff uh, and getting knocked down, but dealing with his place within his neighborhood, around yes. all the people he knows. You know, he's got a level of fame that is difficult for some people to deal with. Well, here's the thing. The kid that we remember selling DVDs on the block of Luke Cage and of, like, the um, Avengers fight, which, which of course, in, in the television universe is called The Incident. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you might remember him from episode one, and then also he's also in the finale. In the finale, even though we got cut, we had filmed a scene where he had dialogue and introduced himself as DW. He's our, our version of DW from the comic books. And so, or as we call him on the show, D-Dub. Mm-hmm. Um, and what he does is he's still selling Luke Cage footage, but now he sells it from the barbershop. And there's actually an app called the Harlem's Hero app that traces Luke. And basically, when people spot Luke and take photos, oh my God, it's Luke Cage. You know, he's geotracked like oh, no. everywhere, everywhere around the neighborhood. And so as DW says, it's like ways for you. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's and so it's like we're dealing with the fact that this is what it's like to be a celebrity. Like um, there was an interview, a really interesting interview with, with Ronda Rousey, which he talked about how it got to the point where anytime people took pictures with her, they had their locations moments on it so that it, so that she was being geotracked she said it was like being tracked like 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 a rhinoceros dude that's terrible wow. and so she talked about what that felt like and so we just applied that to luke cage like what does it feel like when people are popping by the barbershop to try to take a selfie with you what is it like when everyone knows your face and on one hand it's, it's like kind of like cool but on the other hand it's like okay everyone's just at you all the time and so how does he deal with that um, how does it affect his relationship with Claire? How's he balancing that? At the same time, you know, when we talk about Luke, he's not independently wealthy. He's no longer a fugitive, but he's got to make money. So what's always made Luke Cage different than any other character is that he expects to get paid. And so we kind of start introducing elements of the fact that he could possibly be for hire. So, for example, it's like if you have these these kinds of powers, what's the best way to possibly make money for him? It's like, why not try out for the NFL? And so, you know, we, we kind of have that moment that, that we have in the clips on in ESPN that we put out during the during the NFL draft of Luke going through a combine-like workout, and we had a really great cameo from, you know, New York Jets coach Todd Bolts. But even as you get deeper into the season, he can't do that because if somebody explains to him, because he was enhanced Mm. and the story is out about how he got his powers, the whole league would need somebody that could also be equally enhanced for Luke to play pro football. So in a way, that's why he can't he can't join the league. Yeah. So, but it's just it's just fun being able to kind of explore like what would it really be like to have somebody like Luke Cage walking around amongst us? That's yeah, a, yeah I, I love that. That is a really good point. Like, how do these guys you know afford their rent if they're not just staying in one of Tony Stark's buildings? <laughs> like, well, what do they do? I mean, they can't sell Girl Scout cookies. That would be weird. <laughs> well, you know, like, but a perfect example. It's like you would. 
you know, basically they were getting the branding. So like Nike and these other places would potentially want Luke Cage photographed or Instagramming himself wearing stuff. But then even that becomes a liability because then, like, do you want to see your Nike stuff shot up, shot with holes all the time? Or does he mess up some way? Does he throw a car through the wrong building because he's fighting somebody? Yeah. Like, and then, all, and then, of course, he gets dropped by a sponsor. It's like there are all these different things that if you really wanted to kind of explore what it would be like. Luke Mercedes didn't like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, or like, you know, what happens like in terms of just like trying to like go out a night on the town and then somebody's like, yo, I want to kick Luke Cage's ass. You know, like, like, how do you, like, so even Luke Cage in this celebrity era would need a bodyguard because he would need people to protect people from him and from himself. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just one of these things that you can really kind of spin it out in so many different directions. We didn't go too deep into that because ultimately we're telling a superhero story. But at the same time, we're also telling a human story. So there's elements of that in there, but it's really was just about just like Luke dealing with his own personal anger, his own situation his own defeats and then at the same time also showing a deeper side of uh, of Claire a deeper side of Misty Knight in terms of her dealing with not having an arm we don't give her the arm back immediately she deals for a while with not having an arm and what that feels like on an emotional level you you really see incredible emotional growth from Mariah Dillard in terms of her interesting December May relationship with Shades in addition to um, really trying to figure out if she's a Dillard or a Stokes, trying to come to grips with, you know, her legacy. And, and then really Bushmaster. Bushmaster, the way that, that he's introduced, it's not only an, an introduction into um, to Jamaican culture and Jamaican music in our world. At the same time, he's also just such an interesting, intricate villain. Like, to me, he's as interesting in his own way as Cottonmouth. And so... He's just really just a fascinating character. And, and not to mention the fact that we also have appearances from Cockroach and, and our version of Piranha Jones. So, you know. I love Piranha Jones! <laughs> yeah. So, so good. We got to let you go real soon. I do. I, we talked about it before we started rolling, but get you on for another episode because I want to talk about some of the music a little bit more. I do have to say, on the record, I wish that my two favorite Gangstar uh, songs were titles. I love Mass, Mass Appeal and X Girl to the Next Girl were the songs that first like got me hooked. In the Gangstar, the, yeah. the songs you use are incredible. Like, yeah. you, you can't. Well, well, it's I, almost I mean, like a wealth well, of, of Both, both those, like, okay, when I did my original list, I had about 25 songs. Those were amongst oh, the titles. I feel better. I mean, you know, Mass Appeal would have been an episode kind of like about Luke dealing with the celebrity stuff that we ended up dealing really, really doing this season, season two. Had I continued the Gangstar tradition, that would have been one of them. I would also wanted to, I would have used BYS because that would have been like perfect for Luke Cage. Yeah. There, there are a couple of ones that, 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 that would have made it. I might have used The Planet. I might have used Royalty. I mean, there, there are any number of, of, of song titles. P-Rock and Seal Smooth um, worked extremely well for this season. And knock on wood, if we get a season three, I've got some ideas about who we, we would use for that season. So, you know, that, that's always the most fun part. It's great. It's awesome. Cheo, thanks for joining us on This Week of Marvel. Thank you. Thank you for Cheo, he's the such a sweetheart. But before we get to our community segment and wrap up the show, we have been looking around and looking at the table. It is littered with so many cards from our advertiser, Upper Deck, who has sent us the Marvel Annual 2017 Year in Review set. What I love about these particularly, the Marvel cards, Marvel Universe cards, 
when I was a kid, it, the sets from like 89 to 92 ish were how I got introduced to so many characters and they had power grids on the back and these cards have power grids oh, sweet. on the back. But I, I love this because what gets you doing is figuring out their power sets and, and, and their levels and then you start arguing and then you start matching them up to other cards. Who do you have? I have Hawkeye. I have Mr. Clint Barton who is at a three on intelligence. Strength, speed, and durability all at two. Energy projection one because uh, Clint's not a super powered dude. Fighting skills are at six. Uh, I guess your arrows can be pretty deadly. Yeah, so in addition to sort of these, these standard cards, then they have these cool cards here which come with a like Marvel patch, a fabric patch into them. And we got a couple of those. We opened up a bunch of packs and like got one here with crossbones and sin and beast and storm. Yeah, the storm one's really, really sweet looking. Yeah, I really like these top tens because again, it's like conversation pieces. You get a top 10 heroes and one of them is Ant-Man Scott Lang. And then one of them is Captain America Sam Wilson. Top 10 issues, top 10 villains, story arcs. I saw somebody in the office had the one of one original art sketch cards, which are so cool. Cause Ooh. like, if you want to get actual original art from a Marvel artist, you can get them there. I didn't even see these plexi sketch cards that are drawn on clear plastic. I have Lockjaw. <laughs> That's all you need. That's all I need. Yeah, There's Devil Dinosaur in here. I saw that one. Fin Fang Foom. I have two Fin Fang Fooms. Oh, sweet. Which is terrific. So if this kind of scene isn't your bag, then you can also go to UpperDeckEPAC.com and manage all your cards online. When you have your EPAC collection, you you know you open them up online, you can bust packs on your phone, whatever you do. But there's actually this cool mechanism through Upper Deck where you can get your e-cards sent to you as physical cards. Oh, that's extra sweet. Yeah. So it's really neat. If, if you get something on an e-pack that you don't have in a physical and you really want it because this is great art, a lot of these are, are really unique and interesting, you can actually get it sent to you. There's a big community, so if you want to trade, if you are missing a Namor and you need a Namor and you have two, uh, let's say, Ronins or two Quasars. Or you want a pack full of just dead characters. There's one of those. <laughs> there sure are. There's a gravestone on the back, you guys. They... Aww. And their final words. And their final words. Their first appearance, last appearance, final words. They'll probably be back. Yeah, Black Widow's already back. So many cards. So cool. Check it out. Uh, Upper Deck doing some really cool stuff with trading cards. We're on to our community. And the first up is Raph AB, our friend in France. He says, just launched the season finale of Legion FX. Is this full episode a musical, he asks? Because <laughs> I'm totally behind this. I need to catch up on some Legion. Uh, Me too. It's uh, so good, so weird. Just talking to fans who love it makes me so happy because it's, you know, it's a gamble. So it's a very different show. Yeah. I remember watching the first season and thinking I had never seen anything like that. And it's one of those shows that you can't just kind of put on in the background. You need to pay attention and you just need to hand yourself over. Yes. At S underscore J underscore Creed sent us some pics of his tattoos as Marvel Inc. Oh, they are gorgeous. They are so nicely done. One is Wolverine and the other one is Angel. Yeah, and, it's like um, this this cool angel slash archangel. It's hard to tell if it's from like directly from Mutant Massacre or it's just a cool angel archangel. But Seth, this is really neat. And I like the hashtag hashtag 
Marvel Hot Ink. Yeah. Did we come up with that? Uh, I don't know if I we did, so. but we were talking about Wolverine's hot claws. Mm. Charis Pollard, uh, she's awesome. She uh, says to you, Jamie, that you're right. Loving the Domino book so much. Right? I would never lead you astray, especially when it comes to Domino. Mm-hmm. Josh Cooper says, just got some comics signed by Charles Soule at Denver Comic Con because I'm a hashtag Kachucklehead. Kachucklehead. That's right. And yes, Charles, you can blame me anytime you want for that one. I am happy to take the brunt of your ire on being called the Kachucklehead, but it's a great nickname. Uh, <laughs> a couple of favorites from Simon Williams as Twim of the Week for June 13th was Exiles number four. Really digging Pirate Sam Wilson and Misty Knight and the team taking down slave ships is what did it for him. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah, and then uh, between Thor number one and Exiles number four, it's been a big week for Juggernaut. Uh, yeah, I, I'm sorry I wasn't here to talk about Thor number one, the Juggernaut moments and Mike Del Mundo's art and Exiles number four. Oh, as long as you read it, you're good. Look, I read them all. Simon also really wants to see Jason Aaron write an ongoing starring Thor's granddaughters. I I would not mind that either. With you, 100%. (laughs) Amanda Afrancis says, just finished my hashtag body boss workout for the day while listening to This Week in Marvel. Got to work on getting those hashtag two scoops. (laughs) Yes. This is great. Amanda. Yeah, Amanda. That is my favorite tweet. Of the week, I'm giving you 1 million twin points, which I have not given out in a long time. And then, finishing up, Juan Chango Wences says, Thank you so much this week in Marvel for acknowledging Peter's butt. Oh, yeah, you're welcome. He will now be known as Peter, quote, Two Scoops, Parker, hashtag Spider Cakes. (laughs) You know what? I'm throwing out another million twin points for Juan because you get it too. Hashtag them, Two Scoops. I want this to go on forever. I want... You to tweet me some pictures of your favorite spider butt. Tweet them to both of us. So we should finish up. We should give our question of the week, which is, uh, what is your favorite moment from Marvel's Luke Cage season two? Which means you got to watch all of it. Homework. ASAP. I know Jamie's going to go for all the big, awesome Mariah moments. Yes, I am. Yeah. Uh, when yes, she gets angry, when, uh, when, when she gets down to business. I wanted the question to be, uh, Mariah, a hero of her own story or just a hero? You can answer both yeah. questions. Use the hashtag. Bring them both on. But yeah, I am ready for some crazy Mariah action this season. Hashtag This Week in Marvel. And we'll be back with another episode next week. So much more. Oh, uh, I, I've been told that our creator interviews went up this week as well. And those are cool. Let us know what you guys thought of those because we had a lot of fun putting those together. So much more. We've got actually more content than we can release in a regular episode. So yeah. get ready for so much This Week in Marvel in your future. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jamie. This is Marvel. Your universe.